Thanks. <laughs> I can't wear the Britney Spears mic because um, when I get nervous, I burp, and you all don't want to hear that. So now when I get nervous and burp, I can put the mic and do it that way. That's why I have a handheld mic. There you go. That's my secret. Uh, well, thanks for coming tonight. Um, it's, a strange, it's strange for us to be at church at this time in the, in the day. We're used to being here earlier. I'll probably say good morning a million times and this morning. Um, this is about my nap time uh, during the day, and, uh, and it might be yours too. So um, if the person next to you is sleeping, just use your elbow, keep them awake. Um, I'll try to be dynamic and interesting. Uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a bit tonight. Uh, thanks. Yep. First one down. Uh, I wanted to talk tonight about um, attitudes and things in the church and, and beyond it and attitudes in our life and, and things that affect us. And um, I'm going to just jump straight into it. Um, I don't think Jesus knew I was preaching today because he just, he absolutely smashed me in worship. So if I'm, if I'm a bit scattered, I'm, I'm just, I'm still in a different place at the moment. So <laughs> um, it's all good. Uh, turn to First Samuel uh, chapter 8 and verse uh, 19. Uh, I'll just give you a bit of um, context. Uh, I remembered my Bible this week. That's uh, good, good for me, yeah. Um, the context is the Israelites had uh, been delivered from Egypt and they had been they had entered into the promised land and they had been established there as a nation and God had set judges over them to, to govern them and rule them. And, um, and there was a series of judges right up until Samuel and he was um, the last judge and he had some naughty children and, uh, and they were kind of his judges under him and they were not doing the right thing and the people got upset and, and um, annoyed. And they came to him and said, we want a king, we want a, a real king. Um, like a, a human king. And, uh, and Samuel got very uh, upset by this and he went and talked to God and said, this is what they're asking for. And God said, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And I, and I want you to go and let them, give them warning what will happen if they ask for a king. And so Samuel goes back and he, and he gives them the warning and he's this big list right before we're about to read here. A big list of all the reasons why they don't want a king. And, um, and after he gives them the big list of reasons, this is what they say. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So we're going to have a little look at that attitude today and, and see, um, I know that sometimes this attitude is, finds its way into me and uh, probably might find its way into you as well, but uh, it's easy for us to look around. The first thing that the people said is, um, we, we also may be like all the nations. What's everyone else doing? What's everyone else doing around us? And we can apply this to church culture often and, and we can look around and we can... Sorry, I need my Bible keeps closing into the bookmark. We can look around us and say, what's that church doing over there? Oh, that seems to be working for them. And what's that church doing over there? And, and we, can be, we can become a pick and mix church and we can pick a bit of this and pick a bit of that and, um, and get a bit of stuff. And, and 
we can look around us, even beyond what other churches are doing, and we can say, well, what's successful in worldly culture? What's successful in the business realm? What's successful out in these places? And now let's apply that to what we're doing here as a church. We have these things called church growth seminars, where we go and we learn how to grow a church as if growing a church was our goal. Do you know that a growing church is a result or a byproduct of Jesus at work in us and through us. The growing church happens as a result of that. We don't focus on the growing church. You know, we, um, Fee and I were a part of a church in um, New Zealand and had an, uh, what's the polite way to say this, an older demographic um, as, as the majority of the church. Um, not like all you young, beautiful people here. Uh, <laughs> Um, and they had like a men's group going on and it wasn't fun and dynamic like Lance's awesome men's group so get along to that if you're a man, it's great Um, but I went along to this men's group and we watched a video and the video's thrust was how do we get more men in the church and it's a a good idea, I I understand that but the guy's reasoning was well, you know why we don't have men in the church it's because we sing these fluffy songs about the... You know, the, um, the Darling of Heaven. It, all the men love that song. You know, we get to sing about the Darling of Heaven. And, and we have these pink backgrounds behind the words and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And I watched through this video and, and all the guys like, yeah, yeah, we need more manly stuff in the church and we need more, you know, manly activities. And, and, and something, um, something shifted inside of me and I stood up and said, no, no, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is correct because if we do all this stuff and we get all the, the men in the church because of this, what kind of men are we getting in here? We want men who are here because Jesus is calling them here. Men who are here who can stand up and and doesn't matter if it's a a girly song or a pink background, who can worship Jesus anyway. Don't we? And so a growing church is just a, a byproduct of what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Um, In fact, a growing church is, let's be honest, it's actually a little bit of a hassle. Uh, it, it is a little bit of a ha- I mean, we've got to find, we're running out of chairs. We've got to find more chairs all the time and, and, um, and we're running out of space. We're going to have to, oh, what do we do? Do we meet twice a, a, a day or do we go to a bigger venue? And there's all these things to, to um, think about. Uh, I went to a, a, a gathering uh, uh, the other week and there was someone there at the gathering and, and he said, oh, hi, Johan, how are you going? And I said, g'day, mate. And he said, you don't know my name, do you? He says, I've been coming to church for a year and you don't know my name. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. I don't. Rick? No, it wasn't Rick. Oh, I got it wrong. I had to go. It was, it was Phil who's out on, on doing the sausages. So I'll never forget his name now. But these are the things that happen when, when you have a growing church. And you know what? I, I probably don't know half of the people's names in here. I have a one name in, one name out policy. My brain's not very big. So every time I learn a new name, the old name, one of the old names goes out. So sorry about that. If I forget your name, uh, it's not intentional. It's, I'm just sorry. But you see, if, if we focus on Jesus and allow him to grow the church and we're not looking at what the world's doing and we're not obsessed about what's the church down the road doing and, and is this working, or is this program working or whatever, if we just focus on Jesus and as he grows the church, all of those things become his problem. We need more chairs. Jesus, we need more chairs. That's your problem. He'll sort it out. It's his church. 
you know, we see, um, we see what I call uh, the rise of the professional church. Um, and I've seen that over my short life. And, and this, this idea that a church is a professional organization. And you know what? I get it. We have to actually have things in place. As a, as a group of people meeting together, we want to know that our kids are safe. Uh, we, we need to have um, presumably insurance. Do we have insurance? Yeah, there we go. We've got insurance. So, so we have things like that. And, and we have to have these sort of things because, you know, we, we need to keep people safe and, and cared for. And this whole idea of, of a professional church that rebelled against like that, that church that you went to as a, as a kid or you might have been to or remember or seen, um, where it's just kind of like, oh, let's just make it up as we go along. And, and it kind of bumbles through. And, and, um, and again, Fee and I used to go to a church and uh, that somebody was throwing out their couch because they got a new couch. And they said, oh, we'll give it to the church. Church can use it. Well, would you have it at home? No, no, we got a new couch. So why would we put your broken down old dirty couch here? And there was this mentality that's like, well, it's, it's good enough for the church. I wouldn't have it in my own house, but it's good enough for the church. And, and I love that story that you shared a while back, Tim, about the broken microwave. Um, if you have a broken microwave, we don't want it. And we have no use for it. So... <laughs> and, and so what we see is, is as a... As a rebellion against that kind of idea, we, write, we swing over to this idea of this professional church. And what happens is we start to apply professional business ideas and structures into the life of the church. And the church becomes this business-based entity and organization. And it's not, the, it's not Jesus' purpose for the church. Now, there's nothing wrong with structure. And I'm not having a go at structure. We need it, like I've, I've said before. Um, you know, trees have structure. Why do they have structure? So that all the leaves get access to the light. If there was no structure, it would just be a pile of leaves on the ground, a just blobby sort of mess. But we need structure here, but we don't serve the structure. The structure serves us. We have structure that is, enables us to worship Jesus. We have, we have structure that make, means people come here and they set things up, but we don't worship that. That doesn't become our, our goal and our focus. Our focus always has to be and must remain Jesus himself. Right, what else do these um, Israelites ask for, ask Samuel for? So they said, um, everyone else, uh, we want to be like everyone else. We want to have someone to judge us. Tell us what to do. Uh, many years ago, I was a youth pastor in Broome, and um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't think many youth pastors do, really. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, when you're in that position, you don't know what you're doing, and, and I was pretty new to it all, and I was reading books and things, and, and you know, maybe it was that time or that season within the greater church uh, in Australia, but there was a lot of books on, on leadership and being driven by vision and um, all those sort of ideas. And, and so my idea of, of being a youth pastor meant that, uh, so I got the vision from God. He would give me a vision for what I wanted. And then I had some volunteers and then they would all serve that vision so that we would move towards the vision. But I, I, I was responsible for making sure that we got to that vision. Uh-oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh-oh is, is correct. Because what happens is what should have happened was that 
I recognized what Jesus was doing in every single one of my volunteers. And I got behind them and I said, how can I equip you to become what Jesus is calling you to do? And then it's my job to kind of pull it all together and, and make us all go somewhere together as we all learn, as we all grow, and we all bring that unique thing that Jesus has put inside of us to bring instead of like, oh, I've got the idea, you all need to, to follow me here as we do this thing. One of the most empowering and encouraging things a leader can ask is, what's Jesus telling you? When, when Fee and I went to um, this church in New Zealand, we, we have a heart to serve and we love to serve wherever we are and get involved um, quickly. Uh, we don't like just sort of hanging around the fringes. We're like, oh, we're here, let's get, get going, let's do something. And uh, so we went to this, this church in New Zealand and we went to the pastor and said, we're here, what can we do? You know, we'll do anything, we'll stack the chairs, whatever. We're just, we just want to serve, we, you know, we, we love church. And he said, well, what's, what's God telling you to do? Well, I don't know, David, just tell me what to do. You know, you've got the vision, you've got the plan, just tell me what to do. Well, what's God telling you to do? And we used to get so frustrated. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. What's God telling you to do? And so that's leadership who's in a comfortable position knowing that, hey, Jesus is in control and I can trust Jesus in people. And so I feel very comfortable here when I came to Redemption Hills. And, and we met with Russ a few times before we decided, yeah, they're not too crazy. We might go to this church. Um, and one of the things that Russ said to us was, well, what's Jesus been telling you to do? And it made us feel safe because we know that Jesus is listening to Russ and he's also listening to Jesus in all of us as well. When we have our faith in man and they get it wrong, and they do, uh, we become damaged or discouraged. So it's very important that we keep our faith, we keep our focus, and we just have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We, we only need to look at the story of, of when Israel got their kings and their succession of different kings. When the king was good... He was very good, but when the king was bad, they had a bad time. With Jesus as our king, we always have a good king. Right, the uh, third thing that the people were, were wanting or demanding of, of Samuel was someone to ride before us into battle, to fight our battles. Can't someone else just do this stuff? Can't, can we just pay, let's pay a pastor and he'll do all that stuff. Like, oh, I know we've, you know, we're supposed to meet each other and have, have teas and coffees with each other and be social, but I don't really want to do that. So I'm going to pay a pastor and that's his job. And, and again, not wanting to pick on this church, but <laughs> not this church, the one we went to, that was, um, we met with some people and they said, you know what, this pastor, he just never comes to visit me. He never comes to visit me and have a cup of tea. And, and I'm like, well, he's, you know, he's probably busy. If, if that's really important to you, why don't you go visit people and have cups of tea with people? Maybe God's calling you to do that. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. I don't know. Let's, let's have a look what God's original plan um, in this arena is. And if we turn to um, Exodus chapter 19, 
I'll read from verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words with which you shall speak which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God is calling us to be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? Well, let me um, explain it a bit. You, you see, it's not about us finding someone like a, a stage presence person to go and do things for us and and you know we can have all the good ideas in the world, um, but maybe God's giving you the good ideas all the good ideas in the world, because he's calling you to go and do those things out out beyond these walls, not to expect someone else to do it. We're called a kingdom of priests. Now, um, the word pontiff is another word for priest. Pontiff is Old English for, for priest. And uh, and we use it still today in, um, in the... In the Catholic Church, the, the Pope and bishops are known as the pontiff, pontiffs. Uh, pontiff is derived from the word pontifex in Latin. Pontifex literally means bridge builder. Bridge builder. Now, you might remember from last week, if you don't, it's okay, but I talked about uh, the fact that, you know, uh, Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. We are in him and he is in us. Remember I talked about that Jesus is knocking on the door. Let's just quickly um, pull that up on the screen. Revelation 3, uh, 20 to 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And now the next bit says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is an interesting concept, that, that Jesus actually, he wants to come into us, but he's now saying, now I'm going to take you and I'm going to establish you into the heavenly realm. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Next verse. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see what's going on here? We are positioned in the heavenly places. It might not feel like it because we're on these bodies and we're here on, on earth. But did you know that the Bible says you are positioned in the heavenly places? So... You are there and you are here. It is your job and your duty to establish a bridge or a connection between what is happening in the heavenly places and what is happening here on earth. I went over the, the Batman. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. Uh, the, other, the other day... I went over the Batman Bridge. Now, the, the Batman Bridge um, is named after the crime fighter, Batman. It's, it's not actually. Um, 
but if you don't know who it's named after, that's what you'd assume. Uh, the, I love the Batman Bridge. I think it's actually a beautifully designed bridge. I think it's, it's really striking and dynamic. And we went, went over it. Did you know that the, um, when they were going to build that bridge, they did the survey. And you have to survey before you build a bridge, obviously. You have to know that there's something solid to put the bridge on. And on one side, um, on, the, on the western side of the river, is all this solid, hard, dense rock. And on the eastern side is just like mud and clay and goo and stuff. And so they designed the bridge that it would cantilever out and it would be firmly fixed and planted deeply in this rock, in this bedrock. And it thrusts out from that bedrock and that enables it to span the gap and so it just rests slightly on the other side. And so us, as bridge builders, as, as, as residents of the heavenly realm, we get to plant ourselves firmly in that place and bring whatever is true in heaven, we get to see that released here on earth and draw that connection and bridge that gap. Now, I'm going to cut the Israelites some slack here. And, you know, they came to, to Samuel and said, look, everyone else has got a king. Why can't we have a king? And, and, and we can, you know, we can get some lessons from that and that's cool. But, the attitudes that they had um, is actually arose out of a desire that had been placed there by God to have a king. And we have a king. Jesus is our king. And so it's normal for us to desire these things, but our focus and our, the, um, the target for these desires has to be Jesus because he is our king. And we've sung about it tonight, and it was, um, it was a powerful time where we declared his kingship. So... Um, let's just look briefly at, in John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38, Jesus' kingship is put on trial. And he says some interesting things. John 18, 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself on this, or did others tell you about me? What's striking about this is it's so important you have your own personal revelation of who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is asking here. He's saying to Pilate, do, do you know who I am? Or are you just, is this just, have you just heard about me? You can sit in this church for 20 years and hear about Jesus. He wants to know, who, he wants to know you. He wants you to know who he is. He wants to meet you. Because that one encounter, when you know him, when you meet him, that one encounter will change your life forever. You need to have your own personal revelation of who Jesus is. If you've never had that, then we'll make some time for that here tonight. Um, you can meet him. You can respond to him. You know, when I had that revelation, that day of revelation of who Jesus was, I knew my life was never going to be the same. Because once you know, you have to make a decision. And once I knew, I said, yep, I'm following you. You're my Lord now. It's amazing. So that's important. 
what else does Pilate say when he's uh, putting him on trial? Pilate says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered to you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, classic this, Jesus answers a, uh, just ignores the question pretty much and just says what he likes to say. Uh, and my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. His kingdom is not of this world. Why should we copy the ways of the world? Why, why should we as a church, and I'm not saying we do this, I'm just, it's a rhetorical question, why should we as a church do things the way the world does them? Surely if we are following a king of a different kingdom, the way we do things will be strikingly different to the way the world expects. Surely if we follow the king of a different kingdom, our lives will be strikingly different to what the world expects. Verse uh, 38, so of oh, verse 37, Pilate therefore says to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? This is fascinating to me because in our day and age and in our society, truth is relative. Truth is relative. Pilate's saying, well, what is truth? What's, what's the real truth? And we live in a society where if you're not very good at maths, you can believe you're good at maths. And you can believe one plus one equals three. And you'll get a certificate and you'll believe that and that's your truth and so good for you. And, and you know what, I'm... I'm I'm keeping it to maths because it, it crosses a broad range of topics. This idea with that, that whatever you believe is truth. But there's actually absolute truth. There's truth that is truer than the truth we encounter on earth. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. His voice is truth. Everything he did is truth. Jesus, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me, he says. He is the truth, the literal truth. And so as bridge builders, like I mentioned before, we get to establish his truth here on earth because where there is poverty on earth, in heaven, the truth is there is no lack. Where there is sickness on earth and heaven, the truth is there is wellness and life. Where there is oppression on earth and heaven, the truth is there is freedom. And so as Jesus came to earth, his very nature and being and life testifies to us what happens when the, the, the kingdom of heaven collides with the truth of earth. And we see those truths of earth have to bow their knee before the glory of the King of Kings as he speaks sicknesses away and as he raises the dead and as his truth trumps any, any kind of truth that the world would, would seek to um, set forth as something that's true. 
Jesus puts it himself like this in Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19. We've got it up there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what happens when God's truth collides with the world's truth. And us as bridge builders, we get to play a part in that. We get to have our eyes open and, and our ears open. Well, what is the heavenly, what's happening in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm? Jesus, what are you doing here? What, what is your truth? And we get to speak it and we get to live it and we get to see it worked out into the world around us. Um, I might grab the team back up. I'll just draw it to a close here. Um, and... I just want to worship Jesus as we as we finish here tonight. The answer is in is in Jesus. Like if we if we go back to the these Israelites again, back to the beginning of this this talk I've been talking tonight. The Israelites are saying, look, everyone else, everyone else has got someone who judges them and leads them into battle. Well, so do we. And his name is Jesus. Let me read from Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Let me tell you, if you want anyone judging you, it's Jesus Christ you want judging you. Because he paid the price for your sin. And so when he judges you, he judges you not guilty. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords We serve a mighty king, a victorious king, powerful king. Let's keep him the focus of everything we do as a church, everything we do as his people. He is our source. He is our guide. He is our truth. He is our deliverer, our salvation, and our Lord. Let's worship him tonight.